Today I'm going to share with you why I'm here, how I got here, standing on this stage, talking to you. Before I begin, would you please join me in another word of prayer? Father, we are grateful. And I am thankful, Lord, that your mercies endure forever. I am thankful, Lord, that all your people are here and you are here with us. I am thankful, Lord, that you are so faithful and you love us so much that you want to keep us from falling. And Lord, before I go any further, I pray for forgiveness of our sins. I pray that your angels will be here to rebuke evil and to focus our minds on eternal things, on things that matter, and that we will get a glimpse of the Most High because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I was born in Gloucester, England in 1981. I was born in a Muslim home. I have four siblings, a twin brother and a brother Javed. He's one year older than me. And my brothers and I grew up Muslim boys. I vividly remember my father sitting in front of us and all three of us in front of our father. And he would have his slipper right there as we were reciting the Quran, starting like from age three or age five years old, we were learning Arabic. And that slipper would flash out and hit us if we mispronounced one word. We grew up in Islam and going to the mosque all the time, growing up around the Muslim brothers. We were told that if we weren't good Muslim boys, that our father wouldn't make it to heaven. We were told that if we tell lies, that the angel Gabriel will pull out your tongue and put it back in your mouth, um, according to how many lies you told. This is the kind of religion we grew up in. By the age of around eight years old, nine years old, my mom had a meeting with Jesus. You see, she grew up Seventh-day Adventist, but she had backslid and she met my father in England and they both had three kids. And then from there, they moved to, to, the, to the United States and had my two sisters. And so for the first seven, eight years of my life, I was a Muslim, but then my mom, had a meeting with Jesus. She found in the garage a book called Steps to Christ, Desire of Ages, and, and man, she fell in love. And she used to walk by the room and see her sons being disciplined, learning Islam, and she got a flashback of the, of the felt boards, of the Sabbath school songs, and she said, man, I didn't grow up like that. My sons are growing up different. And, and you know, when you meet Jesus, you got a mouth problem. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And Jesus had touched my mother's heart so she couldn't stop but telling us about Jesus. So now when my father's at work, she would uh, teach us about the word of God. And it was the first time we read stories about Joseph and Daniel and David and all this stuff. And we were like, wow, it was so amazing. But my father, a strict Muslim, wanted control of his house. You see, when the spirit of the Lord is in the house, Satan got really angry. At that time, it was 1989. The brothers at the mosque, many of them came from the war from Afghanistan. 
A lot of them lived in Saudi Arabia. And they were telling my father, take your family to Saudi Arabia. You will have complete control. My mother was praying to God and she said, God, I want an experience with you. That's a, that's a mighty prayer because God will give it to you. But are you going to be ready for it? And my mom got her answer to prayer. She felt impressed to go to Saudi Arabia with my father, with my, all five of us, children. So we're on the plane and we're going to Saudi Arabia. I'll never forget, got off the plane. It was like at midnight, walking down the stairs in uh, uh, the outside in Saudi Arabia in Riyadh. And I thought that the jet engine heat was blowing on us because I felt like I was melting. But then I realized that was the, the temperature there in Saudi Arabia at nighttime. We got there and it was just straight desert. Women aren't allowed to drive. The women over there have to walk behind their husbands. It's typical to see one man with like a tribe behind him, a bunch of kids and a few wives. Women have to cover up, no ankles, and uh, cover your face up. It was the type of country where we would drive and we would get caught in a traffic jam and, and you smell something in the air. And there's somebody hanging, because they've been hanging there for three days in the public, public square. That was their judicial system. If you get caught stealing, your hand gets chopped off. That's how it was in Saudi Arabia. In coming into the country, little did my mom know that it was under the penalty of death if, if you try to sneak in the Bible or any kind of Christian literature. But my mom would tell us, hey boys, we're undercover agents for the Lord. And we're gonna go into this country, and we're gonna still spread the gospel as best as we could. And we were, I mean, we had imaginations, we were excited about this mission. And so we were at the airport, my mom had two uh, suitcases, and she had, you know, wrapped up some books, some Ella White books, she had a bunch of books, two suitcases full. We got to the customs. These guys with guns were walking by the suitcases. My mom was praying. The Lord told my mom before she got there, dress up in the traditional Muslim garb. So she did. One of the guards opened up the suitcase. He pulled out a Bible. It was all wrapped up in a bunch of clothes. And he unraveled it. And he was like, what is this? And as he was flipping through the pages and looking at us, flipping through the pages, looking at us, it didn't make sense because we looked like a typical Muslim family. My father, he had the Muslim beard. He looked like a Muslim man. We looked like nice little Muslim children. My mom was dressed. And then he called all the security to him and they were all talking in Arabic, what's going on, what's going on? And then finally, they said, you guys are all good. Don't even check the rest of their bags, they're good. And my mom was rejoicing because those other bags had some uh, desire of ages and great controversy and uh, councils on diets and foods and all that. It would have been a wrap. <laughs> Got in there, undercover agents for the Lord. So now my father would go to work. But guess what would happen at the house when my father's at work? Yep, Bible study again. And man, can I tell you something? I'm 33 years old now but I never forget those Bible studies when I was eight, nine years old. We would get so, so excited that we're like rolling around on the carpet. Never heard stories like that before. Filled with love and filled, the Spirit of God was in that room. One day, my father came home and caught us in the middle of Bible study. 
You see, while we were doing Bible studies that whole time in Saudi Arabia, one of the brothers would be looking out of the window on lookout and making sure we see our father's car pull up into the parking lot while everybody else is having worship. That was our job, and we would rotate. But this particular time, my father took the back way. Nobody saw him coming. Every other time, we would see him coming. Okay, Papa's coming, and we'll pack up all the books. We'll have books and pots, books under the bed, books under the clothes. I mean, we would just play games and act like nothing was happening. But this time he came in, and I never forget. You know, when, when domestic violence happens or something traumatic happens in your childhood, it leaves a scar in your life for the rest of your life. The feeling I felt when he came into that room, it was like the Holy Ghost was in there and then darkness just came in the room. You can feel the presence of evil. And we knew he was irate, he was beside himself. My mom was screaming, she ran into the bathroom and he was threatening to kill my mother. We were, uh, each, each sibling, each of my brothers and sisters, we were on an arm and a leg and we were screaming, no, Papa, no. You see, he had made a threat to my mom before, the day before she got baptized. He said, if you get baptized, you see this knife, I'm going to run you through if you, if you decide to wake up and get baptized. My mom woke up and got baptized, and that morning he was as calm as a lamb, and he walked out. When my mom went into that pool in Hartford, Connecticut, my older brother was so moved that he stood up and he wanted to get baptized. So this threat that he made, and we've seen him hit my mom before, wasn't an idle threat. And we were screaming and screaming, and he got mad. He took all the books, all what my mother had. You see, she didn't have no personal contact with her family, couldn't write a letter, couldn't call nobody. The only thing she had in that country as a woman with no rights was those books, and he took it from her. All she had was like a little Bible that she had hid somewhere else that he didn't find, and maybe a couple other Ellen White books. And my mom was brokenhearted. From then on, my father would take us boys to, to the work, to his job with him, so our mother's influence wouldn't be over us. But it was one day, we came home excited, and we told our mother some great news. We said, Mom, guess what? She said, what? You wouldn't believe where your books are. She said, what, my books? I thought he would have thrown those things away in the dumpster. We said, no. They are in the office at Papa's work and all the men are reading them. Somebody say hallelujah. You know, God knows what he's doing. He took those books to a place where a woman couldn't go. And he says, I got this. When my mom heard that, she was, she was pumped up, praising the Lord. You know what, you can try to relocate and stop the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost is coming with, with us. He was coming with us. So we were in there having a great time in Saudi Arabia but the devil keeps coming. We had a worship service on uh, Joseph in the house. Beautiful worship on Joseph. And father came back from work. He picked us up. Something eerie and strange about that day. Adam, my twin brother, looked back at my mom and said, Mom, don't worry, we're just going somewhere. And my mom said, Adam, something, something's not right. He said, Mom, don't worry about it. We're, ju we're just going to the market or going to the, whatever my father told us. I think he said we're going to the beach or something, and we'll be right back. But my mom, she had that gut feeling something wasn't right. And that was, that was the last time that our mother saw us for seven months. And she had no idea where we were for those seven months. My father told us to get our jackets. 
kind of strange to get jackets in Saudi Arabia. We got our jackets, and we were supposedly going to the beach, I believe. And, but on the way to the beach, we end up at the market getting suitcases and all kinds of supplies and, and clothes and toothbrushes. And next thing you know, we're on an airplane flight to India. His intention was he planned with his family to get those three boys, take them to a Muslim boarding school in India, there to learn Islam and take them away from their mother. So for seven months, my father dropped us off in India, and he flew away. So there's three boys, two eight-year-olds and a nine-year-old, in this country by themselves, and we ended up going up and down all around India with a bunch of people we never knew for seven months. We lived in houses or huts made of cow manure. We would go and use the bathroom at the beach, and we would use the bathroom, and, and then the tide would come and wash it away. We would take a, our bath or our showers, if you will, at the well, 6 o'clock in the morning. We would draw water out of the well and pour water on us in the bucket, freezing cold. And there were huge fishes swimming in that well, so you know how clean it was. But we were thankful we had a bar of soap. We were in one of these boarding school places, one of the places that we moved around, and they would lock us kids up at 8 o'clock. Didn't matter if you had to use the bathroom or not, you're getting locked in there. And I had about, they, we had a competition in there, and the kids were picking lice out of everybody's hair, and we were trying to find out who had the most lice. The barber came about once a month, so I never cut my hair even then, and I won the, I won the game. <laughs> I thought I won the Super Bowl. I was so excited, man. I, I was the guy with the most lice in there. I had about 300, and the guy said, man, I, I can't count no more. By the time we left India, though, before our deliverance, we, we had a lot of blood all over our clothes from the mosquito bites. I witnessed my brothers getting abused and beaten by people and me feeling helpless. I had malaria over there at one of the boarding schools there. And to this day, I believe that the guys next door, the only English-speaking people that we met for those seven months were right next door into the, to the room next to us, a Canadian student and an American student they were about 15 or 16 years old. I was so dreadfully ill that one of the guys carried me for miles into the next village while my head is hanging, my limbs are just flailing, fail, uh, all around, you know what I mean? And he takes me into this village, and man, I had malaria, and I never forget the size of that needle. To me, it was like this big. And I woke up real quick, but that needle saved my life. To this day, I think that the, one of those guys, if not both of them, were angels that saved me because we left shortly after that. And after seven months of abuse, I was molested when I was there when I was eight years old in India. After seven months of abuse and being thin and wasted, missing my He-Man toys and Transformers, finally Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait and my father's job was unstable and so he had to move the boys out of India. Can you believe the whole time while we were in India that these Muslim imams, uh, you can compare them to a pastor for a church. The Muslim imams would come to my mother and say, give up your children, no, no, give up your religion, excuse me. Convert to Islam and you will have your children back. And for the whole time, my mother stood firm by the grace of God and said that those children are in God's hands. 
To this day, my mom feels like Saddam invaded Kuwait to save us. She'll tell you that. And we came, we came back, pop bellies, mosquito bites, blood all over us, didn't brush our teeth for seven months, Lysol in our hair, but we came back. And I'll never forget that spaghetti dinner that we had that my mom made. Oh boy, let me tell you. We was eating bone soup in India, bone soup. But the, the Lord delivered us. After that, we would go to England because my father couldn't support the family there, so we, we went to England, and then my parents divorced. And there I was there in the, in the country of my birth. For the first time, I got to go to church without looking out the window, without waiting for my father to come home. I'm in Adventurers. I'm in the choir. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm socializing with the youth. There's freedom. There's love. I was overwhelmed. One of the best years of my life. Left England, and we went to Elmira, New York. My mom's on fire for God, a single parent with five kids, coalporting. That was her job. And she was so much on fire for God. The conditions we lived in in Elmira were no better, but they, um, let me tell you something, they were better than India. And from New York, my mom felt impressed to take her five kids to Andrews University. Didn't know how, how she was going to get in school, where we're going to live, but she said, I'm going. You see, the Lord had been blessing her so, so much throughout her past. She, she knew that she could just walk by faith at this time. She went to Andrews, doors were opening. And there we were, Andrews University. It was at Andrews University that we began to go to the, to the public schools there. It was at the public schools. You see, I was around 10 years old around this time, or 11. I was born in England. From England, I went to Connecticut. From Connecticut, I went to Saudi Arabia. From Saudi Arabia, I went to India. From India, back to Saudi. From Saudi to England. From England to New York. From New York to Michigan. I've been to all these places by the age of 10, and I never felt like I belonged or fit in anywhere. The experiences that I had, I was very, very much a proud, soft-spoken, but an angry young man. I grew up in a religious home, whether it was Islam or Christianity. I wasn't permitted to listen to music or go out on the Sabbath or eat a cheeseburger. When I was a Muslim, we had to eat fish or halal meat. There was always restrictions on my life. And I admit to you this day that when I was in church as a young man, I, me and my brothers were fascinated with the, with the Christian hip-hop music back then. They used to play uh, uh, some music but with, with Christian lyrics, but these guys were rapping. But we, we loved the beats. To our virgin ears, this was like, whoa, captivated us. By the time we got to public school, we started to listen to the real thing. And before you knew it, instead of being on the outside of the rebellion, if you will, we became the leaders of the rebellion. You see, we figured out that my brothers and I had a talent for rapping and freestyling, and a lot of people gave us praise for that. And we didn't just talk the talk, but we walked the walk. You see, I wasn't talking about smoking weed and drinking alcohol. I was smoking the whole bag. You're going to just take a shot, give me that whole bottle. I'm down in the whole bottle. And as I went through junior high and, and, and high school, my pride was in my hip-hop and polluting my body to the max. I couldn't be stopped. I was invincible. The people loved me. 
By the time I got out of high school, I joined the military. I went to Fort Benning, Georgia in the Army in, in the year 2000. And it was there that this official pothead now, I'm a weed head, full-blown, smoking weed every single day, professional. And that's a serious problem when you join the Army. But I went to basic training and never felt better in all my life. But that evil addiction, that habit, that pain that I haven't dealt with was still lurking beneath. And from then, out of, the, out of basic training, I became an alcoholic. I started to drink a lot. And being that marijuana stayed in your system for such a long time, I started to experiment with other drugs, such as ecstasy and cocaine and, and mushrooms and acid and things of that nature, just going hard. You see, I had so much pride, I would run around the formation in, in the military, come to PT, physical training session, at 4 a.m. in the morning, just leaving the club, still drunk, still under the influence of drugs, haven't slept, and still run four miles around everybody. I was so proud. I couldn't be stopped. You see, I had never fallen on my face. I'd never fallen on my back. Everything I put my mind to and my body to, I could achieve. I would wake up in the bushes, don't even know how I got there. Wake up with blood on the wall, didn't even know whose blood it was. Is it my? I don't know what happened last night. And I was a mess. By the time I got out of the military, I brought all those demons with me. You see, I had opened up so many portals. And addiction are portals to demons. One of the most powerful demons, demons of oppression. And when you're in the, in the life of addiction, you experience, see, hear, feel things that a human being is not intended to experience. And now I open all those doors to all these demons in my life, and now I'm truly a mess. I team up with my twin brother. We're both doing cocaine for about six solid years, smoking amphetamines and staying up for days. A wild man partying on the night, on the weekends, still trying to hold my job, still maintaining my regular life and doing this at the same time. Finally, I got hooked on this drug called Oxycontin. I started off with these Norco pills and then my tolerance built up to Oxycontin. When my brother and I we're on this drug for about three years, three and a half years. And I never forget, I was, he was staying in my apartment. And I was in the room. We said, bro, we got to quit this stuff, man. He said, okay, man, let's do it. Three o'clock in the morning, Adam said, Tarek. I was like, yeah, you still awake? I was like, yeah, man. He said, you feeling crazy? I said, yeah, man, my leg is just going nuts. My nerves are going crazy. What's going on? That was our first time feeling withdrawals. We did, it took us like a week and a half to purge out of those opiates for a while, but before you know it, we went back in 10 times as hard. And now we were at the highest dosage, sniffing these, these drugs, smoking these drugs, fentanyl patches on this. We were out of control. My bowels were shutting down. My body was shutting down, but I couldn't stop this drug. It got to the point that the drug took over my life so much that I wasn't doing it to get high. I was doing it to get by. I was doing it so I can walk up some stairs. I was doing it so I can wash a plate. 
so I can drive, so I can function, so I can operate. My whole life, my whole character came into that drug. Every four hours, I had to get a fix or I had to go to the emergency room. Now, here was this proud man that went to the army, tough guy. My mom was telling me, Tarek, you need to go to rehab. My mom was telling me about God, about Jesus, love my whole life. Gave me a Bible so many years of my whole life. He was in the, in the shelf collecting dust. Now this proud man is walking down the street, holes in his shoes. Same dirty clothes I had on for years. Drooling on myself in public so I can go meet the man to get my fix. It's about survival. It was at this time that my twin brother, he had two daughters at the time, and they would alternate weeks and stay over my place with me and my brother. And my mom called my twin brother and said, Adam, those two girls are not going to church. I want you to bring them over to my house on Friday evening so I could take them to church and Sabbath school Saturday morning. I had the only car, and so Uncle T had to drive my nieces and my brother to my mom's house on Friday evening. When I walked into my mom's house Friday evenings, they had just started this Bible study up again. And at this Bible study, there were people around my age. And, I, you know, I had to take the drug in order to drive, or otherwise I couldn't drive. So I would go to my mom's house. I'm foggy. I'm high out of my mind. So, you know, the first thing you do when you get to mom's house, you got to check the fridge. You got to check the cupboard. You got to get some leftovers, see what mom got. I got to restock, resupply. So I'm in the cupboards in the fridge trying to get, oh, oh, there goes some noodles, there goes there's some rice, let me get this. But as this is going on, over there in the living room, there's, there's people talking about hallelujah, oh, praise God. And people are talking about the same old stories that I used to hear back in Saudi Arabia. There's something about the word of God that is supernatural to the needy soul. You see, I had tried to quit by ourselves at this clinic and stuff. You know, when there was none to help, the Bible says, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their afflictions. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know, when they started talking about these stories, you see, when you live without God, you live without hope. And what I heard, little to my understanding, was hope. And I was high out of my mind, and I sat in the back row, high, but I was in there just getting slayed by the Spirit and the Word of God. You know what? The Word of God is quick. You know, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the dividing asunder, separating soul from spirit, joint from marrow, can pierce even the foggy, drug-addicted, drunk mind. Exposed, nothing is, ex everything is exposed in its sight. When a person tried to help themselves so much, and people are talking about a God that can do it, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it, but I wanted to believe it. And the words started chipping away at this hard heart. Before you know it, every single week, guess who was in the back row? Love the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. 
The Bible was just so wonderful to me. The stories, the applications, learning about Christ. It was so powerful. And I would sit there in the back. It was at this time that my twin brother went through his conversion experience. And that is a mighty experience. Beautiful experience. And I'm going to tell briefly about it. You see, me and my brother, had to, we had to function both on these drugs. I would be sleeping in my room, and Adam would be up for two weeks, two weeks with no sleep. He had decided to go cold turkey, walking up and down, shaking off these drugs because of, of the withdrawals. And meanwhile, I'm in the room sniffing away. But I hear my brother singing songs and hymns, quoting scriptures out there, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And can I tell you something, my family, that I grew up with my twin brother all my life, never had my own room, none of that. But those two weeks was the first time I didn't know who Adam was. I was always the tough brother, the army guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm the, I'm the man. But I said, wow, my twin brother. I'm five minutes older than him, but I always call him my little brother. I don't know why. <laughs> my little brother had some strength in him, and I didn't know where it came from, and it bothered me. I said, what did Adam get? We tried to quit for three years. We went to clinics and doctors and all kind of help, and this brother is going for no sleep for two weeks. I have broken bones. I've burned my body, but withdrawals is the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Worst pain. It's a brand new kind of pain. You're not supposed to feel that kind of pain. And that, that struck me deep. I felt like Saul looking at Stephen, who was, who was being honored by heaven at that time. But still, I had to go on my way to Damascus. Adam was converted and he was happy in Jesus. I was in bondage. I had a situation with my job, lawsuit against the job. I, I had strife and contention. Every time with my HR manager, plant manager, warehouse manager, there was always problems. And I knew now I had to go back to work. I was on workers' comp disability for like a year and a half to two years, long time. Monday morning, I had to report back to work now. I had to go back to face my enemies, and I knew that I was going to be fired. I knew they weren't going to put up with me no more. These were my enemies. So I did something Sunday night, very weird. I got on the side of my bed, had my pillow there, and I started to pray to God. But I was angry, I was disrespectful, I was rude, and I started blaming God. Why weren't you there? Why did all this stuff happen to me? Why was my life like this? And as I started being rude to God, before you know it, this hard heart began to just get broken. And tears started coming down this proud face. I, I don't remember the last time I cried. But I had my whole life of tears on that pillow that night. And I cried and I said, Lord, I'm sorry for not trying. I need help. Help me. Woke up. Monday morning, feeling pretty good. See, my body was so messed up, you know, I always had to have the hoodie on. It could be 100 degrees outside, but I was always shaking and cold because of my condition. But at this time, it was cold enough. It was like December or so, November, and I went to the job and talked to the HR manager, plant manager, warehouse manager. I had to have a meeting. I'd been out of work for so long. And I pulled the HR manager to the side, Jennifer. I said, Jennifer, you got a second? Can I talk with you? She said, yeah, sure, T. Go to her office. She closes the door. And now this proud soul got to do the hardest thing he's ever done. Tell my enemy that I need help and I need to go to rehab. I need help. You see, that night in that prayer, you know what I did with the Lord? I said, God, please help me. Can you please get me to rehab? 
My mom had been telling me to go to rehab, but finally I said I would go to God that night in prayer. I said, God, I would go to rehab, please, if you could keep my job. I have eviction notices on my door. My car is breaking down. My life is breaking down. Everything is going wrong. Help me go to rehab. And when I'm in rehab, Lord, I will read and pray every day that I'm there. That was my deal that I made with God that night. So when I talked to Jennifer in that office, I was going to tell her that I need help and I need to go to rehab. She shut that door, slid that chair right in front of me, and I said the hardest thing for me to say. I said, Jennifer, I need help. I'm addicted to these pain pills, and I just need help. This, this woman looked at me and said, T, that took a lot of courage for you to say that. I'm so proud of you. I was kind of taken back because I've always had strife in that very office. I go to the other office because now the company, my company, is going to be, begin the process of paying for me to go to rehab and keep my job. And so I'm on the phone, and the Lord is answering my prayers. I'm talking to this guy on the phone, and I go back to Jennifer's office, and she's standing there looking at me. And she says, T, while you were in there, I was praying for you. It looked like you needed it. She said, T, I can lose my job for telling you this, but I have to do what God tells me to do. That woman shut that door, family, and she told me she got baptized about two months previous. And she opened the book of Galatians and Ephesians. And there we were at the workplace, reading Galatians, Ephesians. She's given me testimony after testimony, how God has worked in her life, how the Holy Spirit has worked in her life, and how he wants to work in my life. This is my enemy. I'm hugging her by the time I leave there, after almost two hours. Tears are coming on her shoulder. Her tears are coming on my shoulder. We're apologizing for all our problems in the past. And I walked out of there feeling like I was in a dream. Can I tell you something? This drug addict who couldn't help himself, nobody could help me. Never did I feel so special in all my life than I did that moment. I felt like God stopped all the sun, moon, and stars just to let me know, Tarek, I am here for you. He spoke through my enemy, and now she's one of my good friends. I was on my way to rehab now. I said, wow, God is there, he's real. On the way to rehab, uh, my parents picked out this place, St. Helena Hospital, there to go to the recovery center. And on the way there, my, my brother Adam had this little scripture. He said, man, Tarek, here's Psalms 143 and this little piece of paper. He said, brother, I want you to read this scripture when you're feeling down, when, when, when it's crunch time. And I said, yeah, whatever, man, just give me that. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about my recovery. So I put the scripture in the back of my wallet, go off on the rehab. I decide to honor my deal with the Lord that first day in rehab. I lay on my bed. My mother had given me a copy of the lesson quarterly on human emotions, and it had a picture of Jesus weeping or something. I went to rehab January 2011. I was there. And I was on the bed. And I, I didn't know how to navigate through the Bible. I didn't know where to go, so I'm glad she gave me that lesson quarterly. And I opened the table of contents, and I looked at page 88, there on the index or the table of contents, I said, wow, addictions. I said, what are the chances of that? I'm in rehab, I'm addicted, so let's go to page 88 and see what it got to say. <laughs> so I go to page 88, and the first scripture that I read on that, on that lesson quarterly, on that page, 
John 8, 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Can I tell you something, man? When I read that, waterworks started coming down my face. You see, I've been wanting freedom from my pain for 29 years. I've been wanting freedom from drugs. I've been wanting freedom from myself. And when somebody who is desperate for freedom reads that, it means everything to them. I couldn't go on. I couldn't go on on that Bible study. That was the, one of the richest Bible studies I ever had. I closed that lesson quarterly, and I cried like a baby on that bed because I said, Lord, I need this freedom. Can you really give it to me? Do you know that whole week, I couldn't put this down. I said, man, it was collecting dust in my house, but all this power was there all the time. I remember reading the scripture in Galatians. It said, for he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And I remember, man, I'm going through withdrawals. I'm shaking. I'm pretty corrupted right now. But the second half of that verse said, but, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And, you know, it spoke to me so profoundly because I said, you know what? I've been doing the first part of that verse all my life, but I never tried the second part. The word of God was showing me who I was, but it was telling me who God wants me to be. I couldn't put it down. Within the first week, I'm telling you, I'll be on the balcony reading the Bible. It's so heavy to me, I had to shut it and just leave it outside and go back inside because I'm crying. And I'll pick up the lesson quarterly, one verse, I just leave it on the chair. It's too much because I'm crying. I never cried so much in my life that first week. God was just digging deep and just pouring all kind of stuff out of me. Couldn't put it down. People that were running the place wanted to do an interview with me because they said, hey, we never seen somebody glow and recover so quick. The counselors were like, whoa, what's going on? People were coming up to me, A.T., T., can you teach me how to read the Bible? One girl came up to me and said, can you teach me how to pray? Check this out. I was in my room. Some guy knocked on my door. I opened the door. One guy looked at me and said, excuse me, bro, uh, do I have to make an appointment to see you? <laughs> I was like, I shut the door on this guy. I said, Lord, I'm in rehab. I didn't come here to help all these people. I came here to help myself. <laughs> you know what God told me, family? Go with me to Proverbs chapter 11. I'll tell you what the Lord showed me. Proverbs chapter 11. Let me tell you something. When you're seeking for truth, the Lord will give it to you. And man, when I was having this relationship with the Lord, it just blew me away. Proverbs chapter 11, are we there? Verse 24. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. There are those that scatter and experience the increase. There are those that withhold what they got, and it tends to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Look at verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. God taught me Christianity 101 right there. He said, Brother Tarek, by you helping them, you're helping yourself. The Bible says in Isaiah that you are my witnesses. Why? So you can know, you can understand, you can believe that I am he. 
The Bible says if you draw out your soul to the hungry and to the afflicted soul, then your light will rise in obscurity. Your darkness will be as the noonday. And you will be like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat your bones. That's some big promises right there. I learned that. God was watering my soul. And by the time I went to this class in rehab, I was so happy, walked in there. Uh, grabbed the Bible, was taking notes. Me and my friend Derek, we came in there late. And by the time the class was over, I put the Bible back down. And uh, me and Derek were walking out. And Derek just broke down crying. And I said, what's going on, bro? And he was feeling the, uh, the withdrawals. And, and you know, the, 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 it's hard being in rehab. I sympathized with the guy. So I said, let's go take a walk. We're taking this walk outside. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of pain and thing I'm still dealing with. So I'm, I'm kind of tearing up with this brother because we're, we're, we're going through it. We walk out on this path. And we end up on this little nature scene on the rocks, and Derek sits down, and in his hand, he had brought the Bible from, from the class. You see, he was writing on the Bible, too. And Derek opens to the page on Psalms, the book of Psalms. And immediately, I thought of the scripture that my brother gave me. I said, brother, if you don't turn to Psalms 143 right now, he turned to Psalms 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness, answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten me down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God, thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. And of thy mercies, cut off mine enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. I learned one verse a day while I was there in rehab. The Lord was training my mind. I got out of rehab. Still smoking Newports. Still didn't listen to rap. I was listening to reggae. Still eating my steaks, still had my crazy HBO season one, season two uh, 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 series I used to watch, still uh, drinking uh, 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 rock stars and caffeine, but I met Jesus. And within that year, 2011, God cleaned me up off of all those things, and what I couldn't do in a lifetime. Can I tell you something as I close out? Now, God put into my life the girl of my dreams. She used to get on my nerves when we were in fifth grade. I went to school with her in Michigan and Andrews University, but by the time I got to ninth grade as a freshman, man, I had a crush on her. I didn't want to tell her because I was shy, and I ended up going to California. She went to Florida. But after my 15 years of darkness, we never talked to each other two times when I was in the Army. But other than that, we never talked to each other, never seen each other. Then we reconnected. We reconnected. I was in Cali. She was in Florida. We were doing Bible studies on the phone, reading the book of John, reading Genesis, Desire of Ages. 
a man I knew over the phone, didn't even have to see her, this is the woman. God put us together. My wife, Igdali's right there in the back, praise the Lord. And my son, Ishmael, he's four months old now. And guess where we are right now? I go to school at PUC now. My wife is an enrollment counselor there. You see the recovery center where I was going to rehab? PUC is just like a few minutes a little higher up that same mountain. So now my son was born in the same hospital where I was born again. And I looked, I was a little higher now. We were on the top floor when my son was born. And I was looking at the floor where I used to look at the same view when I went to rehab. And I said, look at God. I'm clothed and dressed in my right mind. Got a beautiful wife, a beautiful son. I'm in college studying theology. Now I go to the same Sabbath school I used to go to when I was in rehab. Now I'm helping those who are in rehab right now. And I'm giving my testimony to the same people that were there. Praise God. He is able to do exceeding, abundant, above all that you could never ask for or think. When I was on cocaine on the balcony, staying up all night, I thought that was my life. Never would I have thought in my life on that balcony, smoking my, my throat dry, that I would be here at iShare 2014 talking to you. This is how I got here. I called upon the, la- the name of the Lord, and he heard my cry out of the low dungeon, and he raised me up out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, yea, even the princes of his people, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We are grateful, God. Grateful for your redeeming, merciful hand. Grateful, Lord, that you have plans that man cannot see. Grateful, Lord, that when we take your hand, Lord, you establish us on the path of the just. Dust us off, Lord, and give us joy and peace beyond anything we can imagine. I thank you, Lord, for being with us during the tough times, the good times, but always there with us. And, Lord, it is my prayer that these youth and adults gathered here that we all will know that when we take your hand, we can't go wrong. And that we go all the way with you, that it's going to be the best thing that we can ever do. It is my prayer, Lord, that we understand that when we seek to water, you water us. Thank you, God. Bless us for the rest of this time here at iShare. And may your spirit continue to lift us up. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.